You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. We come to our sermon text this morning, which is Genesis 22, the first 19 verses, a familiar passage uh, in the life of Abraham. And as I said, our normal uh, way in which we come to these passages is to just preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, But through the Easter season, we'll be taking these Old Testament passages and really bringing them into the New Testament. And really, as as I studied it this week, it there's even more to be said. It's an amazing uh, passage, but has all of these great ways in which it reverberates or it's pulled into the New Testament uh, to see the way in which God is at work. So let us pray, and then we'll read this passage. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask for your help this morning. Would you indeed illumine this text? Send your spirit upon us, and would we hear from you today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Genesis chapter Genesis 22, uh, the first 19 verses. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, 
because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So we come to this text that really acts as a, a bookend for the life of Abraham. You'll note his story begins with the Lord commanding him to go to a place of an unknown destination. And you look at that in his faith that he has, and it, it does seem uh, extraordinary that he could just pull up stake, take his family, and go to a place he does not yet know, all the while trusting in the Lord. But then here at the end, this is really the, the last time that the Lord uh, is quoted as speaking to Abraham. And here he is given a test that seems to make the first one pale in comparison. Here Abraham is now to take his one and only son, meaning his, his, his very specific son of promise, the one he has been waiting for, the one who has been born to him from Sarah, the one through whom all the blessings would come. And he is to sacrifice this child. And you think about the way in which Abraham here in our text is then obedient. Unlike the time when God comes to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham there is seen as, as debating or almost arguing with the Lord to spare these people. But here Abraham says nothing Simply, the text tells us he arose, he packed up what he needed, and he set off. And it seems as if this test feels particularly cruel, as Abraham now has, as I said, this son of promise. But really what it does here, as the Lord says he's testing Abraham, it puts him into this position where he seems to have almost two contradictory statements. On the one hand, the Lord has commanded him to sacrifice his son. On the other, the Lord has said, through Isaac will this blessing come forth. Through Isaac, this great multitude of people will come. And I think that is there where you start to see Abraham's faith. Because he has two, to him, seemingly contradictory statements. Both of which come from the Lord. And I think that is why Abraham sets out as he does. Just as he set out first from Ur, now he sets out to sacrifice his son. And as Hebrews brings up, he seems to have this faith that God has commanded one thing and promised another, and that they cannot be at odds with each other. So it seems as if at this point, if Isaac dies, well, then he'll have to be brought back to life. Or, as it said later in our text, the Lord will provide something for us. And so Abraham trusts. And you think about the, the, the way in which Genesis has set this in motion, the way in which the Lord has commanded and, and desires to be trusted. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. 
With Adam and Eve, however, everything was set for them to be victorious, for them to trust God, to not eat of this one tree, but rather to be satisfied by all this glorious abundance. And here, things are drastically reversed. Here, Abraham has to trust God with seemingly the most important thing that he has, his son Isaac. And again, through all of Abraham's failures, it's fascinating to see that he does just simply go. He brings all the things necessary for the sacrifice and for the building of the altar. And so Abraham sets off with Isaac, his son, and with his two servants, his two young men. And as they get to the mountain, he brings all of the things that would be necessary, the fire for the burning of the sacrifice, the knife for slaughtering the sacrificial animal, and for the wood for the fire. And you can see the text and the way in which it really doesn't say much from Abraham's perspective, but it does seem as if you can feel what he feels to understand the, the gravity and the, the seriousness and the sadness of how this man is trusting, even though he doesn't know how things will turn out. And then as they get to the mountain, he leaves his two young men behind, and, and you can think of this picture. Then he puts the, the wood for the altar on the back of Isaac, and he has the fire and the knife. And Abraham leads his son up the mountain. His son then notices something, right? There's something missing from this equation. They have everything ready for the sacrifice. They just don't have the sacrificial animal. My father, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It's interesting just to hear what is Abraham saying here? Is he giving a white lie to his son to not alert him of what is about to happen? Or is it just evidence of his faith that somehow the Lord will provide? And indeed, this is exactly what happens. Later on, we're told that as Abraham has the knife in his hands above his son who is bound upon this altar... Right, this is the, the second time that Abraham has raised this knife. The first was to circumcise his son, the birth of his son, the joyous occasion. He is then circumcised on the eighth day. And here, now, what looks to be the end of Isaac's life, his father again raises the knife. And we're left hanging in suspense until an angel from heaven announces, Abraham, please, Abraham, stop. Do not lay your hands on this boy, but now I know. Now I know that you have obeyed me to the, the very end. I have asked of you what from Abraham's perspective seems the, the, the greatest thing that could ever be asked of him. And God says, I know now that you do actually trust me. And think about that. That really is, when we speak of faith, that's what faith is all about. Faith isn't a, a thing. 
it's not a, a tangible substance. Faith is a, a belief that then requires action. It's the same thing for love. You, you can't really just love without some kind of object for your love. And you can't really have faith without having some object in which to test or to put that faith into. It's much like the difference between having faith that the parachute will open to actually leaping out of the airplane. And it's at this moment where Abraham is said he, he had faith. It speaks of him believing in the promises all the way back into chapter 15, and it was credited to him as righteousness, that he trusted in the Lord. But it is here at this moment where he puts everything on the line. It's here where he trusted in the darkest, hardest part of his life. Calvin says this, whenever the Lord gives a command, many things are perpetually occurring to enfeeble our purposes. Means fail, we are destitute of counsel. All avenues seem closed. In such straits, the only remedy against despondency is to leave the event to God in order that he may open a way for us where there is none. For as we act unjustly towards God when we hope for nothing from him but what our senses can perceive, so we pay him the highest honor, honor when in affairs of perplexity we nevertheless entirely acquiesce in his providence. We pay him the highest honor that when the situation of our life seems to be abundant and perplexing and we don't know how things will turn out, we're bereft of counsel, we don't know what to do, despondency is all around us. Calvin says we pay him the highest honor when we acquiesce to his providence in those situations. It isn't that what Abraham does. He literally cannot know the outcome. He does not know that a ram will be provided. He doesn't know if Isaac could be raised from the dead. He simply trusts in God. And then we see at the end of this section that the Lord provides. On this mountain shall be called the Lord shall provide. The Lord has provided a way that Abraham took Isaac up there to be a, a sacrificial offering. The word used here for slaughter, when it speaks of Abraham about to slaughter his son, is a, as a technical term, meaning uh, that Isaac is, is looked upon as a sin offering. Right? Isaac, uh, Abraham is, is not simply sacrificing his son as a, as a test, but also as an offering for sin. And here at the 11th hour, the Lord provides a ram. The Lord provides a ram, and it is in that moment that Abraham breathes the sigh of relief and that this ram then is then slaughtered as means by which to atone for the sin of Abraham and Isaac. And so as we think about this, there is so much going on in this text and even as we, we walk through it, we can simply see the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there are many passages in Scripture which are, are so clear in referencing the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. But here we have this story told for us that seems to clearly allude 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He is the lamb that was provided at the 11th hour. He was the one who put upon him this cross of wood. And right, it was his father who took up the fire and knife in order to slay him. But right, that's where things start to diverge from these stories of Jesus Christ and of Isaac. For Isaac had faith in Jesus. It was this ram that was provided for him at the last moment that really signified and and showed him in shadowy form the coming Messiah. Because Isaac absolutely deserved death. Isaac, like Abraham, were sinners. The curse that fell upon humanity has death as its final outcome. That Adam and Eve deserved to die and they are cast out from the presence of God for their disobedience. Sin and death enter the world. And so here as Isaac is bound upon this altar, he absolutely deserves death. And yet at the last moment, this ram comes. This ram that is caught in the thicket and Isaac sees his deliverance. This ram literally trades places with him. The normal way this would work, you would bring the lamb and you would place your hands upon it, symbolically transferring your sin to this animal. And then the animal is then slaughtered and burned and wholly consumed in order to show your sin being paid for. And so here Isaac sees this quite clearly. And so I think that's how we we see this as we jump to the pages of the New Testament that this lamb who was slain becomes the lamb who is sent in order that he might die. And note the way that Isaac is referred to. You have not withheld your son, your only son. Even that hearkens in our minds to thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the word who became flesh, who dwelt among us. Glory as of the only begotten son, the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Paul in Romans 8:32 says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Here in this passage it is Abraham who is ready to sacrifice his one and only son. Yes, Abraham had other sons, but this is the the special son of promise. And yet the Lord intervenes. And it is later that the Lord would be the one who would not spare even his own son. Because even if Isaac had been slain, he would only have faced the punishment simply for his sins. Isaac's death could not have had any effect upon anyone else. And so we see as we turn to the pages of the New Testament... as the writer to the Hebrews is trying to help this fledgling group of Christians, Jewish converts who are facing persecution, they they want to go back to the Old Testament. They want to go backwards in redemptive history because their present situation will will be much alleviated from the suffering that they're going through. 
But the writer of Hebrews has been building this case point after point about the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. Every single structure in the Old Testament found its fulfillment and it was greater in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then in chapter 10, he gets to the point that if they go back, now having the reality, they're going to find themselves in a very difficult situation. Because he reminds them that if they would just think about it logically, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Because if you really think about it, who, what group is responsible for offending God, the animal kingdom or the human kingdom? Right? It is humans who have disobeyed. It is humans who have failed that test in the garden and continue to live out wicked and sinful lives. Genesis makes this point that even the good ones are full of sin and disobedience. That this is the line that God has specifically chosen. And time after time after time, these men and these families, they fail. And so the writer of Hebrews reminds them that if you're going backwards, back to the Old Testament, just remember the blood of bulls and goats actually can't take away your sins, that is only Christ, Jesus, who has come into this world. He says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's his his point is is twofold in this chapter. Uh, Chapter 10, it's one, the blood of bulls and goats could never affect actual salvation. It was always by faith looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second mechanism built in here. Not only was it an improper sacrifice in the sense that animals can't atone for the sins of humans, but also there was a repetition day after day after day after week after month after year. The blood continued to flow. The animals continued to be marched up and slaughtered and burnt. And even the great day of atonement where once a year a priest could enter the Holy of Holies. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, it is all now through Jesus Christ. He has died once, and your sins are now forgiven. Isaac or this ram could never actually affect real and lasting salvation. Right, animal sacrifices... Everything in the Old Testament fed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this story and we see the way it reverberates throughout the New Testament, it's wonderful to behold because first we we see Abraham and we see the way in which this test in which he succeeds, his faith was put to the test. 
and it was found that the object of his faith was worth it. But the second thing it points out is that animal sacrifice, and even the sacrifice of a single human, is not ultimately what's necessary. What we need is a perfect human. We need someone greater than Isaac. Paul brings this point out in Galatians 3. He speaks of that this offspring that was to come, not offsprings, but a singular offspring. This is Christ who has come. That all the promises, all the blessings, all the fulfillment, everything was, was getting to this one and singular point in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that here we see a, a faint picture of it. We see God as Abraham. We see Isaac as Jesus. But we see even greater when we see the larger story of God as God. God is the one who provides the ram. God is the one who provides the Lord Jesus Christ. And it helps us, I think, to see some of the anguish that Abraham would go through. And we come to thinking of the time as we celebrate Easter. It almost feels bad to even use the word celebration. When we think of the father who crushes his son. That Abraham had longed for the day that Isaac would be born. And this was agonizing to him, certainly. But then we come and think of the father existing eternally with the son in this bonds of love with the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And now there comes a time in which the Lord God, the Father, crushes the Son. That at that moment, Jesus is full of sin that is not his own. Paul speaks of he who became sin. And this horrible, terrible transaction then takes place by faith. That our sin and our guilt and our evil and foulness is placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father then crushes him. So that his righteousness would then flow forth to such undeserving people. Like you and me. And so as you look at this text this morning... Genesis 22 is, is, is flowing out of Genesis 3, sin and death, but also that there was a promised seed, right? Not only did sin and death enter through human disobedience, but God made a way that there would be one who would be born of woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Here in Genesis 22, we see the way paved forward to the cross and to the new covenant that an offspring of Abraham would indeed be the seed of the woman, that here is I, as Abraham acts as priest and Isaac as sacrifice. So the Lord Jesus comes as the great high priest who he himself is the sacrifice. That what Isaac could never do, what these bulls and goats could never do, can be done through Christ. And then really as we close, we just simply think of the, the vantage point and the difference now between us and Abraham. In many ways, as Calvin said, our lives are still full of perplexities. They're still full of sadness. They're still full of death and decay and evil. 
but there is a clear difference between Abraham and what he could see and could understand and what we now see and understand. When we talk of celebrating Easter, that, that's the whole celebration, is that Abraham had two things that he couldn't fit together, but which we know now clearly, that there is resurrection, that out of death, life is brought, that the curse of Genesis 3 is becoming undone in this lamb that was provided for by God. That we have a sure and certain hope of resurrection that no matter what we face in this life, we know that God not only holds our our tears in a bottle, but yet is making a way for us to be resurrected and to live forever. So Abraham grounded his faith in in a Lord that he couldn't understand fully how he would accomplish this. But yet we ground our faith in a God who loved us before the foundation of the world, a God who loved us to send the Lord Jesus Christ, and a God who has provided a way through Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, and indeed his second coming. So that wonderful truth should help us and empower us to work out our faith, just as Abraham did. This is what James brings up, that Abraham's faith was worked out in practical ways. He trusted, though he didn't know. We trust and we do know. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, let us certainly take hope. But as James says, let our faith also be worked out because we have every reason to trust and to hope in much greater capacity than Abraham could have ever envisioned. And that's what should make this Easter time one in which we reflect upon our sins, but also on our Savior. And one in which now we, we pray in all boldness for what he will then do. The book of Acts wonderfully pictures Jesus upon his throne, sending the Spirit and sending his church forth. And so this Easter should be a time of great joy. For the tomb is empty and Christ reigns. So let's pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K.